10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Happy New Year. Okay, I know. Our celebration of a new church year just isn't done the same way as our celebrations of a a new calendar year, are they? We'll save the excitement and shouting and fireworks for a little under a month from now when we turn the page on our calendar. But here we are, in spite of a little quirk that put our midweek service a few days ago already, at the beginning of a new church year, it's the first Sunday of Advent. Now, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about the church year, you could pull out the hymnals in front of you, the blue hymnals, and page way to the very front. The pages that talk about the church year, they're the ones marked with Roman numerals so that they don't confuse us when the psalm numbers come a little bit later. Several pages there in front of the hymnal will list all of the Sundays and other festivals of the entire church year along with all of the readings that are appointed for each of those dates. And you can look through that and you can also notice that the church year is divided pretty neatly into two unique halves. The first half, as we get started, we often call the festival half of the church year. It's focused on the life of Jesus Christ, and so it has a number of festivals like Christmas or Easter, When we commemorate those big events in the life and ministry of Jesus, we celebrate those things. And so really in half of the church year, we walk through the entire life of Jesus Christ. And then in the second half of the church year, the focus changes just slightly, a little less focus on the life and the timeline of Jesus and a little more focus on the life of his church, how the good news of the Savior affects God's people, you and me, his church. That's a basic overview of our church year, and here we are starting the church year with the season of Advent, looking forward to the festival and the celebration and the season of Christmas And maybe you're just a little confused about the selection of some of our readings then. Why, if we're getting ready for Christmas, are we talking about Palm Sunday? That sounds more like getting ready for Easter, according to the timeline. It seems a little out of place, you might think. Well, it turns out our relatively new hymnals, the blue ones, actually are taking us back to a pretty ancient practice in the church, a practice that our previous hymnal did not maintain. And that is, it goes all the way back to the 700s A.D., where the church in the Western world for the first Sunday of Advent used the gospel of Palm Sunday. Sunday. 
the account of Jesus riding a donkey into Jerusalem. Now, seems pretty obvious then. They didn't make that selection based on the timeline of Jesus' life because it's certainly out of place here. No, they made this choice for a thematic reason. Advent is all about coming. Jesus is coming. Our King is coming. And maybe there's no other place in Scripture that quite so neatly captures the coming of the King and who He is and His purpose in coming better than the gospel of His triumphal entry. Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. There are actually several choices we could make regarding which gospel we look to for the account of the the Palm Sunday events. This year, we turn to Mark's gospel. And as God inspired Mark to write his gospel, Mark had a way of kind of leaving out the superfluous details. Mark is very direct in his writing. He gets to the point. He likes action. And so he tells us the facts of what happened on Palm Sunday. Well, what happened? Jesus was right outside Jerusalem. He was going into Jerusalem. Before he does, he sends his disciples. They bring back a young donkey. Jesus rides into the city. That's the story. Okay, that was a little too brief a summary because there are some important details that we have to go back and pick up to really get the point of what Mark is intending to share with us. Here's a few more details. When Jesus sent his disciples to go get the donkey, he told them exactly where they would find a donkey. And the disciples went, and they found things exactly like Jesus had told them. And when Jesus was preparing the disciples, he said, If anybody asked you, here's what you tell them. And when they went and somebody stopped them and said, What are you doing? They gave those people Jesus' answer, and they were sent right on their way. They brought this donkey that no one had ever ridden before, untrained, brought it to Jesus, and he rode that untrained, unridden donkey into Jerusalem to shouts of praise and joy from a rather large crowd. Now that's quite a picture, isn't it? That's quite a king we're talking about here. This is a king who is in control. And he's proved it. He's demonstrated it. See, he knew what was going to happen. Jesus didn't find the donkey because he had scouted it out in advance. He didn't send somebody else to scout it out and report back, and then I'll tell some other disciples. He didn't pay actors to ask a question about the people taking the donkey away. He knew what they were going to ask. And then, yes, he rode this untrained donkey all the way in to Jerusalem. That's a king who's powerful, who's in control. And yet, maybe we sometimes struggle to to think through this whole account because it's not all displays of power and awe and glory. In fact, you have this contrast right at the same time that he's also a humble king. 
He doesn't own a horse. He needs to borrow a donkey. He doesn't have an ornate saddle to sit on. People throw some cloaks over the donkey that he can sit on. He doesn't have a herald going out in front of him telling the people, here he comes. The crowd just kind of figures it out on their own. And he's not going into Jerusalem to conquer and overthrow. He's going into Jerusalem to suffer and to die. Now that's a humble king. Well, how do the people respond to this powerful yet humble king? It sounds pretty good at first glance, doesn't it? They shout their praises. They cut down palm branches and put them in his path. They take their cloaks and lay them down for him. They shout these praises of the coming of the kingdom of David, their father. They shout, Hosanna, which means save, please. But what do they mean? Do they mean all those words that they say? Do those words that they cry out mean that the people in the crowd had made a determination that Jesus was indeed the Messiah? He's the one that God had promised so long and had sent so many prophets to tell about? Did it mean that they were ready for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem to die for their sins? Did it mean that they had concluded, just like Jesus' disciples, that he was the one God had promised from so long ago who was going to crush the head of the ancient tempting serpent? Well, if that's, if that's what they thought, then why does it seem like by the very next verse of Mark's gospel, the crowd has disappeared. And if that's what they meant by their shouts of praise, then why by the end of that very week had they completely changed their tune and they were shouting for the death of Jesus as a criminal? We've got good reason to think that this crowd was looking for their own sort of Messiah. They were looking for a different kind of king. They were hoping for someone who would come in and help them get rid of the Roman rulers who were lording it over them. After all, they were Israelites. They were the people of God. They felt like they still held on to God's promise about that land, about all those amazing things he had said to their forefathers and to be under the rule of some foreign power was just unthinkable and unspeakable to them. So what did they want? A hero? Someone who would get everybody wound up to rebel against the Romans, knock them off their thrones, take back the... the country, the land that belonged to God's people and have it as their own. And it seems like every festival, like the Passover that was about to start at the time of this account, 
was a chance for the crowds to get excited and wonder if the guy was finally going to show up, the hero who would go and defeat the Romans. Seems like that's what they wanted. But Jesus is not that sort of hero. Jesus is not that sort of king. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem to defeat sin and Satan and even death itself. Jesus, our King, was coming to save us from our greatest enemies, to save us from our spiritual enemies. It's just as true for you and me today as it was for those people who surrounded Him on the road there in Jerusalem at that time. This humble and powerful king was going into Jerusalem to sacrifice himself, to defeat the ruler of this sinful world, Satan, to set his people free in that way. That's what we celebrate. That's what we think about in regard to his first coming. This is our king coming to save us. During the rest of this Advent season, during our Christmas celebrations, we're going to notice some of these same themes. We're going to notice a lot of humility and a lot of lowliness from the Savior. We're going to notice a lot of people with false hopes and false expectations not really understanding the spiritual nature of his kingdom. But wrapped in all of this is the truth that this is the king that we need. This is the king who gives us his love and his grace, the one who deserves our praise and the praise of angels. He's not coming to put himself on a pedestal or make himself rich. He's coming to serve and he's coming to save. Our king is coming to save us. And just like he did at that time, our king is coming to save now. This is not just what we celebrate. This is what we live every day. This is what we live during the church year in our worship services. Here we, we are heading into a new church year, and every single week, you're going to have a pastor stand up here in this pulpit to share God's word with you. And you may have noticed some things about your pastors. Sometimes they stumble over the words that they say, and it doesn't come out quite right. Sometimes the microphones go off and you can't hear everything. Sometimes you see the, the lowliness in this whole picture. Sometimes, as you get to know your pastors too, you'll realize that their personalities are different, maybe rub you the wrong way at times. Hopefully not as much in here, but maybe out in other places, you'll notice that they don't always live up to your expectations. 
They certainly don't always live up to God's expectations. But the words that they share carry God's power to change hearts, to change lives, to forgive sins, to save. What about this table right here that's sitting in front of us every week? And this week, we're going to come right up to it. And what are we going to do? We're going to receive a little wafer of bread to eat. We're going to take a little cup of wine to drink. And we wouldn't be surprised if somebody looking from the outside looks at this whole process and says, wow, that's really simple and mundane and plain maybe even kind of boring, but they could not be more wrong. And that is so much more because in that eating and in that drinking, you receive Christ's own body and blood shed for you, given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. There's a font that stands right up here in the middle. Unfortunately, we don't have an example today of someone approaching the font. But every time someone does, it doesn't look like much, just a few splashes of water. But that hides a whole lot. This is Jesus the King coming into a new life and into another heart and claiming another soul for His kingdom as He washes sins away. Our King is coming to save us. Everything about our worship is focused on this and yet... We come, and sometimes we have the wrong expectations or the wrong attitude. And we see all the lowliness and humility, and we forget about the power. We think, you know, this is about me and my preferences. I want to come here and be entertained and, and have my, my attention captivated. I want to come here and sing the songs that I like. I don't have to ask if somebody else likes them or not. I want to, maybe I even hear God's word about singing songs to each other and, and singing praises to God and say, no, no, that's all right. Somebody else can worry about that. I won't bother participating. Or maybe we think, Man, they can't get the temperature right in here. You've thought that, huh? And we forget, too, that, well, well, we're uncomfortable. Maybe somebody else is comfortable. And if we adjust it to our liking, maybe it changes their experience. Within reason, I understand. Or maybe we say, I'm here today, but... Next week, who knows what appears on my social calendar. Maybe that'll be more important. Or if I don't keep seeing some specific measurable progress in my life, maybe I'll just walk away from this whole thing. That's that focus on just the lowliness and just the humility. 
or just my own expectations to my own shame, but the power with which Jesus comes and humbly offers Himself to you and to me to forgive exactly those sorts of attitudes, exactly who we are, exactly who we have always been, just out of His grace and mercy and love. Our King comes to us. And He's going to come again. Our King is going to come again, and this time, take away all the lowliness and all the humility. He's not going to be riding a donkey. He's going to be coming down on the clouds. Won't need to wait for a crowd to gather because he'll be surrounded by his angels. He won't even need a herald to go out in front of him because the trumpets are going to sound to announce his arrival and his return. But his purpose is exactly the same. Our King is coming to save us. He is going to take us out of all our troubles and trials and tribulations and torments. He's going to take us to be with Him forever in His heavenly kingdom. That's what Advent's all about. We sit here at the start of a new church year. We get to embark on our annual review of the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. After that, we get to look at how His life has affected, has changed our lives and continues to change them. We get to see again and again who He really is and the purpose He came for us. He's our King. Our King comes to save us. Happy New Year. Amen.